trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome to the show, my fellow wrong thinker. Speaking of wrong thinkers, my friend Gary Welch joins us. Hi, Gary. And a, a very proud member of the Wrong Thinker Club. I, I absolutely <laughs> identify myself as the ultimate wrong thinker. You know, I, I was speaking with Eric Peters from EPAutos.com earlier today, and uh, and he takes great pride in that, that wrong thinker label as well. Maybe maybe a bit too much, because when I greeted him, his response was, Hail Wrong Thinkers! And I went, okay, <laughs> we might want to back that one off just a little bit, but 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 I appreciate the sentiment. And uh, as yeah. as luck would have it, once again, we have a very full day of information and um, events going on. And I'm going to start with a story that just broke in the last hour. And that is, uh, I noticed KSL Television tweeted that uh, Utah Governor Gary Herbert is apparently going to be holding a, a press conference about 20 minutes from now with members of the health department in the state of Utah talking about dramatic changes to COVID-19 policy, including new restrictions. What do you suppose that means? I think he needs to have a, a press conference that he can tell everybody about the, the precautions he's going to be taking so that he won't get kidnapped because he's absolutely entering into that arena of, of doing things that his citizens are not going to like very well. I, I, he's doubling down and I, and it's, it's a worst mistake ever. Yeah. It's, you know, I've, maybe it's hopeful thinking on my part, but it looks like the, the COVID-19 lockdown narrative, which it turns out is actually an ideology, that whole lockdown mentality has started to show some pretty good cracks. And you have seen the world health organization walk back the idea of lockdowns within the past few days, saying that they are very destructive. You've actually seen uh, the CDC put information out that would seem to indicate that the masks that are being mandated so many places really don't make that big of a difference. As in most of the people who tested positive for COVID-19 had actually been wearing their masks. So it's, you know, I, I'm not saying that good, you know, then we can just pretend this is all a hoax. It's not a hoax, but at least we ought to be taking a different approach. Oh, and the great uh, Barrington declaration, which I don't know if you have, have, are you familiar with that? Have you had a chance to, to take a look at that? Oh yeah. We, we talked about it the last time I was on even. And um, I, I'm, I'm glad to see that at least on some sides of the the media, they're picking it up, but they're also doing a very good job of squashing it and making sure that the word doesn't get out about it. Oh, the the opposition that has come up to that uh, Great Barrington Declaration has been uh, just an absolute study in ad hominem and and false, uh, you know, uh, fallacies, you know, attacks against it without ever trying to address the data. And the data that they're they're trying to put forward is, look... It would be better if we were to protect the vulnerable, the elderly, those with comorbidities, the ones who are really at risk from this particular virus, 
but encourage everybody else, particularly the young and the healthy, to get back out there and resume their lives so that the virus can make its way through society and we can can start to achieve that herd mentality. But it's but it's the power seekers. It's the opportunists who are fighting this tooth and nail. And I'm sad to say, I think Gary Herbert is is one of those with that uh, lockdown ideology, you know, firmly in, in his heart. And it's one of the things that I, I like talking about because um, we do have some presence here in Utah, but also we, we're a national podcast, and I always view ourselves as a national uh, broadcast in doing that. But I love pointing out about Utah because everybody, when they talk about COVID, talks about New York, Washington, California, and there's these all oh, these liberal states are doing this. And I like talking about Utah because we have a Republican so-called conservative governor. We have a Republican so-called conservative legislature. We have a culture and a status here within Utah that the citizens are known to be very, very conservative. And yet here we are dealing with this issue and having people stomp on our rights just left and right. And and now doubling down and saying, OK, we're not done yet. We're going to take it into phase two. This is happening in good old Utah. If it's happening here, your safest your state is not safe. Yep. And and it raises the question in my mind, okay, from from a from a purely practical standpoint, I can see why Governor Herbert, as well as other, you know, executives in, in the state, you know, capitals are are doubling down. The the liability for them is extreme. If they admit they were wrong, um, they're gonna get hung out to dry. And maybe rightly so. On the other hand, now I'm thinking, Gary, what can we do? And and that's where I'm I'm not sure. I mean I, I'm not going to go grab a pitchfork and a torch and, you know, lead the charge on the state capitol. But uh, I am certainly not going to bend the knee to more and greater restrictions if there is any possible way of avoiding, you know, um, enabling that. And so this brings up something that I think that as wrong thinkers and um, as citizens for our states that we need to be aware of and work towards resolving we have a problem and and, and it's being manifested it's being manifested here in utah in that we have a legislature that could stop this they they have all of the power in the world in fact they have a duty a constitutional duty to stop it that in the utah constitution it basically it makes it very clear that what governor governor herbert's doing is unconstitutional so at that point, they should be stepping in and saying, no, we're ending this. You're not going to do this. We're not going to allow it. But what happens is we have a legislature that is more loyal to their party and making their party look good than they are to their citizens. And we have to overcome that by a, an outpouring of citizens complaints or emails or just we have to have this large volume of people going to them and saying no this is going to cost you if you go along with this well if there was ever a time for the people to set aside personal differences hard to do in an election year but nonetheless this would be that time this is not about uh, you know forcing one size fits all solutions either you know for masks or against masks or or uh, you know pro lockdown or, or non lockdown. This is is trying to bring common sense back into the equation where people can make the decisions, weigh the risks, and decide what am I willing to to bear. 
but uh, but it seems yeah. like it seems like the one size fits all approach is all the rage. Well, and then that's the other side of it. So to get the legislature to act to stop him, you know, and he, and we're not going to do anything with him politically. I think he sees where he's at. He's not running for reelection. In fact, he's already this is his last term. He's going to move out. I think he recognizes that his future in politics is probably going to be very limited. So he has low incentives to do the right thing politically to make the right decisions. But he has a lot of incentives to double down on his policies, again, to avoid the liability and avoid that legacy of you were the guy that did all this. He has a lot of incentives to double down. But what it's going to require is people to go beyond just, well, I don't like this or I don't agree with this. You have to voice it. You have to stand up and say something. Otherwise, they don't know. Yeah, I, I assume he's probably heard some people making noise. I just wonder if it's not enough people, you know, uh, reaching out, whether it's through emails, phone calls, whatever. It just seems that there has to be some way to communicate that we're, we're uh, I think a clear majority of us are reaching the point where we're just not willing to, to submit to another round of house arrest. And I, and I absolutely agree with you. I think we're absolutely there. The problem is. Are we making it known? Are we being loud enough or are we just grumbling underneath our breath type of deal and going that route? Okay. Well, this is this is ripe for discussion. So uh, I I'm I'm open for alternatives, but uh, I'm I'm telling you the idea that the that in about 15 minutes the governor is going to kick off another press conference with more restrictions being announced, this does not please me. But at least we have some other yeah. great things to look forward to. For instance, um, <laughs> let's talk about the consequences of November's election, regardless of who wins. Now, we've got to go to break here in about 30 seconds. But, um, Gary, set the stage for us for what we're going to discuss as we come back about uh, the upcoming consequences of the election. All right. So this is why you want to stay tuned in. I uh, and I'm going to see if Brian will agree with you. I'm going to tell you that it doesn't matter who wins this election for presidency. There are going to be some severe negative consequences because of this election. Oh, I can I can feel the blood pressure spike all across our listening audience with those words. Okay, I'm anxious to hear what you have to say. We will continue our discussion just the other side of these messages. Thanks for being with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I want to mention that our program is brought to you today by Jeff Staples Real Estate. And if you are in the market for a home, maybe you're trying to sell a home. I know there's two things that really loom large. One is, look, if you're selling your home, you want to get the top dollar for that home. Jeff can help you with that. If you're looking to buy a home, you want to save money. You want to get one for the best possible price. And again, Jeff Staples can help you with that. So what I want you to do, there's two different things you can do here. You can either go to uh, the you can go to the show notes at the com, 
and that will put you right to where you can look at the bottom of the page where the sponsors are listed and you'll see Jeff uh, Staples and a link right to his website. Or if you're feeling sporty, just type this in jeffstaplesrealtor.com. jeffstaplesrealtor.com. All the contact information is there. It's a marvelous website, actually. It'll, it'll be very handy and helpful. Again, if you are in the market to either buy or sell a home, this is true for my listeners all throughout the state of Utah. doesn't matter where you are. Jeff has the assets in place to help you. Jeff Staples Real Estate. And again, his website, jeffstaplesrealtor.com. All right. Gary Welch is my guest. And Gary, let's talk about this. You've got my, my interest. It doesn't really matter who wins the election the consequences are still going to be severe. Explain. So I'm going to start by asking you a question, and that is, how do you feel about term limits? What, what are your thoughts about term limits? Not a fan of term limits in the sense that um, if the voters are doing their part, if we're being wise citizens, we will already be exercising term limits and booting out those politicians that are not living up to their expectations. And so in saying that, again, you and I are on the wrong thinker side of this, but we're actually going against the status quo of the conservative movement because the whole thing about the Constitutional Convention and the, you know, the, the, the state's convention that these people are pushing, one of their big agendas is to get term limits on all government officials of, of you know, just pushing that just across the board. And. Donald Trump is a good example of why you do not want term limits. And, and he is kind of unique because of his situation, but it creates a really major problem for us. And that is a lot of presidents, when they are in their second term, like, like George Bush or Barack Obama, they feel like I still want to be part of my party. I still have a life after this where I'm going to be very involved and be a leader in my party. Donald Trump is not that. Donald Trump is reshaping and redefining the the Republican Party, and he's defining it on himself. And the problem that I have with him was he is a person that basically has gone both ways. He's been very liberal at times. He's been very conservative at times. And I felt like his conservatism was simply because he wanted to get the Republican nomination and become the president. But in reality, I think his own personal values, his own personal things would tend to be more liberal leaning, not saying that he's a Democrat, but I think he'd be more liberal leaning. And now he has nothing to lose, nothing at all. Um, He is reshaping the Republican Party around him. He wants it to be a a person centric party that's shaped around him and his goals. That's just who he is. He's an egomaniac. We all know that. We're not going <laughs> to kind of beat around the bushes and say, no, this is a great guy. He is an egomaniac and he absolutely wants to to put himself in that position of being like the king of the Republican Party where everything revolves around him. And so because of that, I feel like going into this second term, He's going to just take that approach and go that way. And then, of course, we have Joe Biden, and we know what will happen with him. Everything that he is saying he's not going to do, he is going to do. We've been down this road before with Obama, and he was right there, and he learned from him. Tell him what you want to, you know, tell him what they want to hear, and then do what you want to do once you get in office. 
So in either case, I think there are major consequences for the United States, no matter who wins. I can't argue with your logic there. And and I, I have to agree. And look, uh, I, can I can I double down on the wrong thing just just that much more? Uh, one of the Go most dangerous things that I have seen is conservatives when their guy wins tend to either go to sleep or they become heel clickers. And I saw this under George W. Bush. And I saw, you know, people who under under Bill Clinton were, were you know, adamant defenders of, you know, the, the protections of the Bill of Rights and keeping government limited. But when George W. Bush, when our guy, you know, the conservative guy was in office, there was nothing that they couldn't contort themselves to excuse on behalf of him, the war on terror, and, you know, the excuse that, well, you know, 9-11 ripped the fabric of time and space, and that justifies all this. But I saw an awful lot of conservatives basically throw their principles to the wind just for the sake of uh, we have our guy in power, therefore it's going to be okay. I don't think they ever considered the long-term implications of your guy isn't always going to be the one exercising those incredible powers over life and death. I think one of the biggest issues is that we have turned politics into a team sport. It's like baseball and football and that you have your team and you, you must root for them. There's that obligation that you have to feel like we have to root for our team. We've got to support our team, even when they're losing. And, and I've never th- thought that way. That's one of the things that I've always wondered, you know, about human behavior. Why do we do that? If your team sucks, you should be like, berating them and getting on their case like, hey, guys, get it together. Start improving. I'm paying good money for you to win. I want you to win the pennant. You should go out there and make the changes necessary to do so and be very critical of them when they're not performing up to expectations. But we take the opposite view of, no, we got to support them. We've got to be behind them. We got to show them we love them and care for them. And we do the same thing with our politicians, with our president, especially uh, guys, he's our employee. Get, you know, that's his right. status. Yeah. And you and, you are absolutely one of the, the few voices of reason who has consistently pointed this out uh, to me and to others. And that is we got to stop treating politicians like superstar, like rock stars. Right. When, and I know in a campaign rally season, um, people get gaga when they go and, oh, I touched the hem of his garment and they're so excited about it. But. They're still our employees. And if they're crappy employees, you know, we ought to be holding them accountable and if necessary, firing them when when that's needed. And I think that that has to be a fundamental change in our political party process. And and I don't know if the the two major parties can do this. And this is where a third party, if they figure this one out, they can be very, very successful. And that is where are your loyalties, both as a party and, and what is the culture of your party? Is it for the party to win? The big reason why I left the Republican Party, I was very much involved with it. And the thing that the, the statement that was made to me where I said, this is it, I'm out of here, was the, the guy told me, he said, Gary, it's all about winning. And you tell them whatever you need to tell them. And this is a Republican saying this, guys. You tell them what they need to hear so that you can get in the office and do what you want to do. And when he told me that, and I and this guy was a position of power within the Republican state organization, I said, okay, I'm out of here because that's not what I'm all about. There's got to be this shift in political parties where the outcome is not what's good for your party. 
is what is good for the country. And that especially becomes the case when they're elected. Once they become elected, they're not your party. They're the people's party. They're the people's representative. You got to do the right thing. Everything you are saying rings very true to me. But there is a mindset that has taken hold among the American public that it really is all about power. I mean, look at the dynamics that are driving so much of the um, the tribalism in, in this election cycle. I know people who are very principled and, and very good, you know, freedom loving individuals. But they're nonetheless all about, look, if we don't uh, if we don't do unto them before they do unto us, we're all doomed. And I don't even think they realize they're departing from their principles. Go figure. And it's the ends justify the means mentality. We, that's the absolute thing we have to stop. Okay, on that note, we will take a very quick break. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll be back right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. I do want to mention that Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse is one of our sponsors. Now, this is going to be particularly of importance for those of you who are listening to me in and around the Salt Lake City area or anywhere in northern Utah. Look, for that matter, if you're passing through Salt Lake, I'm just going to suggest it would be worth your time to swing into Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. The, the best way to get directions, I could give them to you, but it'll take pretty much the rest of this hour. No, they're not that hard to find, but if you go to Facebook and you look up Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse, very, very simple directions there. Bottom line is if you're trying to stretch your grocery buying dollar as far as it will go, this is a place I would suggest going, especially if you're looking to buy things in bulk. It's it's a great way to save a bunch of money. It's a warehouse. Okay, this is not a big, bright, big box store. It's a warehouse. But Paul buys his his stuff from food wholesalers. He guarantees everything he sells 100 percent money back guarantee. No questions asked. He accepts credit cards. He accepts EBT cards. So if you know somebody who's looking to, to try to get the maximum mileage out of their grocery dollar, Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse really is worth your time. And please do me this favor. When you go and you spend money with them, as you hand them your card, tell them, I came to check you guys out because Brian was talking about you. Just let them know their advertising message worked because it reached your ears. All right, Gary, let's uh, let's follow up here on uh, a few more thoughts on the idea that whether Trump wins, whether Biden wins, the consequences that await the American voter aren't going to be pretty. Nobody's prayers are going to be answered at the conclusion of this election, are they? And and that because that that comes about because what do they have to lose, you know, when they win that second term and it's over. They you know, he's going to achieve all the things that he wanted personally out of this. He's vindicated himself. He's shown that he is the superior politician to all other politicians that have been out there. And from that, you know, it's all going to be about, okay, now I want to shape America in my vision. And and again, with guys like him, this is not typical. This is not, um, you know, exclusive to Trump. I have never met a political candidate that didn't have a super ego, not just an ego, but a super ego. 
I think that that's just what's the makeup of, of who they are and what they are. And they all have that mentality of, I am going to shape America and I'm going to make it in my image because my image is much more superior than the peons out there who don't know what they're doing. This enlightened elite concept that you and I have talked about a lot. They all have that. And Trump's going to be no different. In fact, I think he has it in spades when it comes to that mentality. And the question would be, what does that look like for him? Once you take the political ramifications out of it, and it's just him and his ability and the power that he he has he has right now, which he shouldn't have, by the way. Could he dramatically reshape this country into an image that doesn't necessarily fit what you and I would want? Right. Right. Well, <laughs> I, uh, I I got to tell you, I feel some serious trepidation about uh, the upcoming Election And it's it's not even so much about who wins or who doesn't as what is the reaction going to be. And and it's not just the left that concerns me. I don't think the right is going to be out there rioting in the streets. The left, I don't even think they're going to wait for the election to continue with their rioting and dialing up the intensity. Uh, but the, the political right, if Trump loses, I think is going to be in a in a really dangerous and, and somewhat desperate place. And that that causes me concern. Mainly because, you know, I think that you might see some people um, resorting to some some extreme things. Let's, for instance, uh, you heard the news, and I know you wanted to talk briefly about the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping plot in uh, in Michigan. What's your take on that? And this really leads into the conversation we're having about, you know, if he loses, there is as much as we talk about the radical left within the radical right. That movement is growing in 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 response to the radical left that the the radicals with on the rights have now felt like I don't I can't do this peacefully. I cannot do this by normal political civil actions. I must do something you know huge and and violent and and big like trying to kidnap a, a governor. And I gotta tell, I gotta say this when I first heard this. The first story that the first thing that came to my mind was the kidnapping of Red Chief. You remember that story? Oh yeah, by o. Henry. Yeah, and I and I thought about that. Like, yeah, if, if you would have uh, kidnapped her, I think the people of Michigan would say, "Okay, give us two thousand dollars, and we'll take her back." That's funny. <laughs> You know, because like really, I mean, like right now in Utah, if they if they, if they kidnap Governor Herbert, I I would say like yeah, guys, you know, give us a couple million dollars and and we'll take them off your hands. Otherwise, you keep them. Um, but you know, joking aside, it's all about that that there are now these these people who are starting to make these plots. I think this is going to grow. If Joe Biden gets elected, I really do believe that there will be this radical right movement of escalating the violence, escalating the the activities of things that they want to do because they feel like their message is not being heard through the normal, peaceful civil process. Wow, I I have serious questions as to whether it's a real plot or not. And this is not, you know, me wanting to go down, you know, the conspiracy rabbit hole, but I think there has been ample evidence over the last couple of decades that the FBI excels 
in sending out provocateurs and confidential informants to, to shop various terror plots to, to what they would consider susceptible individuals, somebody within the militia movement, somebody within a, a group of uh, radicalized Muslims or or something like this. And they'll go out there and, and shop the idea, starting with, you know, just some common ground. Boy, I sure am unhappy about what the government's doing these days. You too? Yeah. I wish there was something we could do about it. And eventually the rhetoric is, is ramped up until someone suggests, you know, we ought to go blow up that uh, that ranger cabin or we ought to go blow up this or we ought to do something illegal and somebody nods their head yeah but my point is it wasn't a legitimate plot it wasn't like you know oh my goodness these people really got together and started planning this out and were you know trying to to go into harm someone brought the idea to them offered support sometimes offered i can get my hands on explosives or i can get my hands on guns you know who wants to join me they're just looking for someone dumb enough to say, yeah, we ought to do that. And then, you know, the FBI steps up, makes the arrests and claims, you know, look, we've saved you from this monster. But they're the one they're Dr. Frankenstein. They're the one who put the monster together in the first place. So, yeah, I have trust issues. And, and the, those are reasonable trusts. I don't necessarily think that it has to roll into conspiracy theory. Because I'll just tell you this, what the FBI and our government fears more than, say, a terrorist organization like Black Lives Matter. And yes, I am calling them a terrorist organization. We have talked about this. They are a terrorist organization and recognize it as such. So why aren't they going after them? Why aren't they really cracking down on them and on their donors and on the people who are supporting them and taking these kind of setting these guys up and they won't do it? And that's because they're okay with the Black Lives Matters in results of a very strong government, you know, a socialist, communist type of government. They're okay with that. But what they fear is the anti-government people. They, that's the ones who scare them. Well, I know uh, when the FBI was in town, by town, I mean in southern Utah, following the, the standoff that took place at Bundy Ranch back in 2014, um, one of the FBI agents who was there gathering evidence and gathering testimony against uh, the participants at that standoff told a friend of mine, you know, my job is to prevent the second American revolution from ever happening. Yes. And, and he, he mistakenly believed that uh, the guy he was talking to was firmly on his side. And and uh, that friend actually contacted me knowing that I had been there at Bundy Ranch, uh, you know, the day of that, that standoff and just said, uh, just a heads up. But they're they're going around talking to people. And if you uh, if you get called in by an FBI agent, you may want to have an attorney, you know, that you can trust, you know, on speed dial. Now, it never happened, thankfully, but um you know, it was it was very interesting that that was that was how they perceived it. We are here to keep the second American revolution from ever happening. And you're always going to find anarchists who are, you know, who just want to destroy everything and create chaos. And these guys may have fell into that. But I do believe that there is a concerted effort by law enforcement and FBI in particular to stop any kind of organization that has liberty-minded viewpoints and a you know a limited government st- type of attitude yeah it's it's a little bit spooky that uh, they view that as the bigger threat while turning a blind eye to some of the more radical elements that are out there you know literally burning and looting and and assaulting people 
All right, we got to take a quick break. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, thank you for joining us today. I know I don't say this often enough, but with all the different voices and all the different information sources out there, the fact that you would spend some time with this broadcast or this podcast, it really means the world to me. And I shared a quote with you uh, the other day uh, from T.K. Coleman about how, you know, it's it's not really about... Uh, it's not about uh, becoming the biggest, broadest show out there. Uh, my goal is to to give the best possible service, the best possible information to those people who who prefer, who want to get it here. And so that's that's a, a matter of trust. I appreciate you placing that trust in me. Thank you for being a part of my life and likewise allowing me to be a part of yours. My guest is Gary Welch. We're talking about a number of different things today. Gary, this was one of the one of the notes you had sent me before we went on the air. And I, and I got to ask you about this one. Are voters stupid? <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> Will this be a simple yes or no answer? Or would you like to elaborate a little bit? <laughs> yeah, obviously, I love to elaborate. And uh, this this gets to the issue of how do you get yourselves where you get these these party politics, where the party becomes everything. The politicians become all invested in their party and are not looking at the constituents. And that is there is this mentality among government officials that all voters are stupid and. I will say this right now, for the most part, they're right. Voters are stupid. They are. But here's the thing. The point that we, we like in, in the book, I'm going to do a little shameless plug here. So we, if you subscribe to the show, and it's a, it's a very light subscription, you, it's not like you're going to get bom- you know, bombed with a whole bunch of emails. We only do something like once a month that will send you a notice. But if you subscribe to this, you will get a book called Embrace Capitalism. And in that book, we, we talk about this in that it's, it's okay for us to be stupid. As just human beings in general, we really don't, we're not very good about predicting things. We're not very good about understanding the deeper elements of what's going on. We're not very good about knowing outcomes and unintended consequences. But the point that we make in that book is, yeah, but neither are our elected officials. There's the, there's the, the breakdown and that we go, well, you know, everybody else is stupid. I'm not stupid, but everyone else is stupid. So I can't trust them. And there was fact a recent pupil that came out that said that 64% of us do not trust the others. You know, we don't trust our own society. We don't trust everyone else. 64% of us believe that everybody else is, you know, idiots and stupid and they're not knowing what they're doing. The problem, though, is that you put your faith in them. Like, well, they're smarter than me. They're better than me. They're more educated than me. And they know more than me. And they'll make better decisions. The reality of it is, is they, and they've proven this over and over again, they're just as stupid as we are. So if everybody's stupid, if we're all in the stupid pool together, 
why give them power? Why not just go ahead and say, you know what? We're going to make mistakes. Let's get over it and move on. Okay, fair enough. Let's see. There was something else, too, that uh, we wanted to talk about. Uh, oh, packing the federal courts. I, I would oh, like I'd yeah. like to. I mean, right now, you know, Amy Comey Barrett's uh, hearings are all the rage in Washington, D.C. It's uh, it's a circus, although not quite as big a circuit circus as the Brett Kavanaugh uh, hearings. But uh, the Democrats have been pretty open about, you know, we want to pack the courts. What's your take on on that and uh, the likely ramifications if they were to succeed? Should Joe Biden get elected? So here's the thing. Everybody's freaking out about the Supreme Court and that they would they would change the dynamic. So the idea behind this is they are conceding that she is going to get approved on the Supreme Court, that they really can't stop it. And I don't think they can. I've, I've, I've seen both sides of this. And I think the Republicans are going to be able to prevail. They have quite enough of a majority that they'll be able to push her through. So the idea is, okay, now they have a majority. We'll offset that by increasing the number of Supreme Court justices. But here's what most people don't understand. The Democrats for years and years have been packing the federal courts, the circuit courts. And and at that level, they have been absolutely pushing their people into place and putting those judges. The Supreme Court only hears less than 1% of the cases that come up. 99% of your cases are being resolved at the federal level. And if they they stack that where they put in more federal judges, more of their people in there, that is going to have a much bigger impact upon our country. And by legislation from the bench kind of mentality, because it exists there even more so than within the Supreme Court. That's going to have a bigger impact, and that's what they're going to do. I'm not, I'm not they I don't think they would win in the Supreme Court. I think Congress would shut it down, especially within the Senate, that they would shut that down. Even among Democrats, there's no support for this. But nobody would stop them from packing the circuit court because it's it's less visible. Gosh, either way, I'm just not keen on the idea of, of court packing. And you know, it, it just it smacks of Politicians trying to consolidate their control to where they can ram their agenda down everybody's throats without uh, any of those auxiliary precautions that the founders gave us, the separation of powers, the the checks and balances between the branches of government, you know, thwarting them from from doing whatever they want. And they've been less proactive in doing this because for the most part they've been getting away with doing things they they've been very open about their we have an agenda we're promoting this agenda and nobody's going to stop us i mean look here locally with this whole covid type of thing they knew it was unpopular they knew it's going to be destructive and yet they went ahead and did it and they got away with it but by stacking the courts the judicial system gives you a way of checking the people those pesky voters get in the way in all of the other branches of, of our government, whether that's the legislature or the executive. Those pesky voters can get in your way. Judges who are appointed by life and appointed, not elected, have that ability for you to get around the pesky voters and then implement your vision, this enlightened elite vision, without having the voters say in it. And that's the most dangerous thing uh, that, that is out there. I think we need to do just the opposite I think we need to take these federal courts and drop them down to almost nothing like, you know, 
one one person for the country, you know, or two or three judges, and that's it. Uh, we need to go the opposite direction, not not get it more because it is it's something that opposes the voting system that that citizen input into the laws. OK, we're we're down to just a couple of minutes left in in the show. Um, Gary, let's let's take a moment to in- invite our listener to to subscribe to the podcast, to come to the to the website and anything else that, that you think would be helpful. We are trying to build a community of wrong thinkers. Why do we want to, to create a place where wrong thinkers can gather? What's what's the benefit of that? So one of the things we talked about was this 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 chance of having violent people on both sides confronting each other. And we've talked about this before, that there is these these notions and this talk about civil war and things like that. We can save ourselves. That opportunity still exists. It's a small window. It's open right now, and we can take advantage of it. But it requires it requires the people to know how to solve these issues, and to how to get around this 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 separation that we have and these two sides fighting each other with no compromise, no prisoner type of approach, and and things like the Embrace Capitalism book that that we wrote talks about this. It talks about how should we look at our elected officials as representatives and as employees rather than rulers, and how should we address these these issues that are confronting us in a way that we could have a civil discourse and a way to solve these problems without necessarily going down the path of, hey, let's just march to a war like they did in the 1860s. They knew it was coming. They went you know, just all they just said, let's go. We'll, we're we're going to go down this road because that's inevitable. I think we can avoid it. Well, and I, I appreciate the optimism. I know this has been a tough year to to maintain, you know, optimism for what the future holds. Uh, right now, there's a lot of dark clouds on the horizon and the storm seems to be intensifying right around November 3rd. It looks like it may reach a crescendo, but. I agree with you that uh, we still have marvelous opportunities ahead of us. And, and this is true for freedom lovers, uh, even though right now things are looking, you know, pretty unsettled, to put it mildly. I think that uh, the, the very best of what makes us Americans, you know, is is yet to come. So, Gary, I appreciate you sharing your optimism. And thank you so much for joining me again today. Uh, my pleasure, Brian. And, and I'll just end it with this. In a dark room, the guy with the flashlight is the hero. Well said. This is The Brian Hyde Show.